establishing thought leadership in B2B, building an audience around it, and understanding engagement, and then monetizing that audience is the fundamental growth equation for this next generation of marketing. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. My name is Tommy, your host, and today we have a big, big... We're joined by Anthony Canada, who is the founder and CEO of Audience Plus. Now, before we get into what that means and what we're going to be talking about, we have to give a massive shout out to Fame. They are the producers of this podcast and also the business that I run, Fame, Star & Grow, the most profitable podcast for B2B brands. We work with companies like eToro. We work with companies like Workday. We work with companies like Circle. If you have a B2B business and a podcast and would like it to be better, or you want to start one, go to fame.so or click on the link in the show notes below. So Anthony Canada, Audience Plus, there's a big shift happening in the world of B2B. Paid spend is getting less effective. Cookies are getting in the way of tracking how good paid spend is working. Social platforms are throttling our reach. What this is all leading to is more and more B2B companies are going to need to create and own their own content and that relationship with the audience directly. It is something that we've believed for a long time with Fame, which is why we started the business. We essentially help B2B companies create owned content and owned audiences. And that's exactly what Anthony believes in. It's what he's done in previous roles, such as being CMO at Gainsight, Hopin and Front. And it's what he's doing now with Audience Plus. So we dig into his journey through to realizing this and how he's using this exact strategy to grow Audience Plus today. So let's jump into that discussion right now. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been following, I think, since pre-Audience Plus days. And so what I want to do today is go a little bit back in time to the Gainsight journey and then use that context to inform us about where we are today with Audience Plus, understand the context behind that, and then also how you're marketing Audience Plus. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Better talk about it. So the first point I'm going to make, and something that I've discovered from interviewing marketers on the show, is that I often find that effective marketers started out or had some kind of experience in the world of sales, which I think you also have. I did. Yeah. Sales and product management, actually. But my first marketing job was at Gainsight as the head of marketing. I didn't come up through the demand gen kind of career ladder or product marketing or anything. And starting in sales certainly gave me a good, I think, foundation for the outcome that we're trying to drive towards in marketing, right? Like sales being on the other end in, in many cases of the work, moving then to a partnerships role. So sales, but sales adjacent, just the learning about how do you tell a story from taking two different companies, two different products, two different value propositions, weave that together into a narrative, into a joint go-to-market. So the seeds were planted there. And then I did a very weird, random kind of right turn into product management and learned how to gain empathy for customers. And how do you take your learnings going on these listening tours to customers and translate that into product value and work internally with engineering to really shape that so I thought that I was going to keep doing product forever. And I wrote, as I was interviewing at Gainsight, I wrote the 30, 60, 90 plan for product. And the CEO, Nick, who I got to know pretty well, he said, how do you feel about marketing? I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing about marketing. So I think your intuition's right. All those, sometimes the other parts of our career journey help shape and inform who we are as we hit that career path, the true path within the discipline that we want to spend our time in. I think that was certainly the case for me. 
What do you think Nick Sora knew that he was like, this guy is a marketer? I actually know the answer to that because I asked him that quite intently over time. So Nick and I worked together at a company before Gainside called Live Office. In the fascinating world of cloud-based email archiving and e-discovery, very hot. But I was a BD manager, maybe 22 years old, very young in my career. And there was a presentation that I had to give in front of the whole company. And it was this like, for me, a big moment, of course, early in my career, but I built the deck, I built the story and I presented, he was in the room. And so when he was looking for a marketing leader for the company that would become Gainsight, he remembered that one presentation I gave and how I designed the slides and architected the story, again, as a BD manager. And so he saw that in me before I ever wanted to be a marketer or saw that in myself. So I think the lesson there is a PowerPoint is such a building decks is an important skill set for any marketer. And then you just never know who's watching and what opportunities can come as you have these moments along the journey. We're going to come back to presentation skills later because yesterday I watched the launch video, the Apple-esque launch video of Audience Plus. (laughs) Yeah, great, really great talent spotting by Nick, right? Totally. Yeah, I didn't know it, but he's definitely... He has an eye for these things. You know, I was fortunate to be one of them, but I think there's several other people could be on the show and say the same thing about him being able to spot that talent for sure. Got it. So let's move on to Gainside then. I think it was like a nine-year journey. Seven and a half, some of those nights, but yeah, I hope like nine years or even longer. So I want to try and sum up seven and a half years of marketing leadership yeah. to maybe just two questions. And I know this may be simplifying things, but I'd love to know what worked the best yeah. and then maybe what didn't work so well. First of all, that context and the opening questions here help shape what we walked into at Gainsight. I didn't have a ton of bias on how to do marketing. So we had to rely on first principles. And for me, that came from watching the consumer marketers who have all the fun, looking at Airbnb and some of these other inspirational brands. A lot of what we did was built on intuition and trying to connect emotionally with the market. In our unique case, we had this underserved persona, the customer at the time, the customer success manager who did not have a brand that was fighting for them in the market. They did not have a voice at the executive table, certainly didn't have budget to buy our product. And so rather than us trying to like compete in an existing market or position in an existing market as a support alternative to Zendesk or something to that end, we said, what if we just championed this persona? What if we kind of, Joe Chernov used the language, become the patron saint of this industry? And we did that through education, through connection and trying to facilitate community within that persona. And if I were to sum it up in one thing, on the company side, on the brand side, we established thought leadership as a function of the marketing engine through our content events, all of these different things. And through that, we grew the company and we grew the category overall. So at scale, like 80% of leads were still sourced directly by marketing through one of the content programs or event programs. And 100% of leads, literally 100% were influenced along the journey through our thought leadership. So I think that the big takeaway, what really worked and a lot of what shaped my thinking with Audience Plus is establishing thought leadership in B2B, building an audience around it and understanding engagement and then monetizing that audience is the fundamental growth equation for this next generation of marketing. Makes total sense. I never have been to one of the Gainsight events. What's it called, the event you guys have? Pulse. Yeah, Pulse. I've never been to Pulse, but I've heard it's banging. (laughs) Maybe that's the example, but could we take one example, either of a show or just even one piece of content that really connected with that persona and then ultimately became profitable for Gainsight? Yeah. 
it might be worth highlighting Pulse. There's a lot of things that we've done, but there was one year, it was the 2017 conference, I believe, if I'm getting this right, maybe 2017, where the conference is all about best practices. It's not about us and our software by any means. We're just sort of the conveners to bring the voices together around the industry to advance the profession. And we did that every year. But this year, in particular, we did it around a 90s theme. And so all of the stages and the set design was different shows from the 90s, like Central Perk from Friends was the keynote hall or Monk Cafe from Seinfeld was a breakout. We slimed Nick, our CEO, on stage. We had Vanilla Ice showed up at 9 a.m. and performed Ice Baby to basically surprise wow. and delight the audience. We had a 90s cover band performing throughout the event. I think the thing that deeply resonated with that one was the power of nostalgia, which we brought into the Audience Plus launch event with um, Boy Meets World a little bit. But there's something about the emotional... There's something so powerful about nostalgia from the marketing perspective and how we can tap into that for our audience. What I like to think is that was a very special year because not only did we execute our plan around education and making it a valuable conference for our attendees, but also there was something just emotionally stirring about that experience that people still talk about today. And I'm guessing the 90s theme, it wasn't like random, it was 90s. It was like, because that's the ideal buyer. It is typically yeah, that has a lot to do with it for sure from an icp perspective from a persona perspective also this honestly some things we sound a lot smarter like looking backwards but at the time this was in like the backstreet boys were coming back and there was this whole 90s like thing going on and so i think it, we were at the peak of the hype cycle of the 90s nostalgia when we decided to do it too so we can't take too much credit for being too smart about that <laughs> i absolutely love what you said about being like the champion for this persona I did this on a micro scale. I used to work for a B2B SaaS company. We sold sales software. I identified the sales ops person as like the idle buyer. And I think maybe with you as well, we got slightly lucky with the timing. This was 2019 and sales ops and RevOps just becoming a thing. And the show was just about them and their careers. And we really, similar to you guys, just became like the central hub, not pitching our product, but yeah. just like lifting these people up, which is I guess the same thing. Yeah. And by the way, that feels good as a marketer because, or anyone as an engineer, as a support, whatever role you are, because... In B2B, so often finding the value and meaning in our work when we're slanging software to help companies like whatever, it's sometimes might be hard. But when you're thinking about your audience or your persona or these people that you're serving, I think it adds a new dimension of meaning to our work as well. So I love that. And I think that's an important consideration for companies. Yeah, like setting the unofficial marketing goal or one of the OKRs to get X amount of people promoted in your industry. You can't track that's that. That's incredible. Yeah, it feels Absolutely. good. So let's then progress because I think you started seeing some things either at Gainsight or because there were two more CMA roles between Gainsight and Audience Plus. I think you started to see some things. Yeah. So we left Gainsight to seven, seven and a half years in thinking that, okay, there's something about this playbook that is leading with thought leadership, building, establishing it, and then monetizing it into revenue. There's something about that. At Front, we it was there for only a short time. We were starting to do something similar, working with a third-party agency to help us basically establish what is the digital surface on our website that's going to be the home of all of this, the home of our thought leadership. How can we deploy and distribute rich media content, not just our SEO blog posts on our website? How can we build a subscriber base around our content? How can we understand all of that engagement within our subscriber base and how all of that actually can be translated into pipeline? At Gainsight, it was Frankenstein together with Zapier hooks and WordPress templates and all these things. And it worked at front 
we worked in an agency and it was beautiful, but it didn't connect with any of our systems. And when they handed it over to us, we couldn't maintain it because we didn't have any engineers to actually do so. So I was at Hopin about to do this a third time. We we're launching an initiative called Hopin Studios. And I'm like, gosh, by now there's got to be like a Salesforce Plus as a service or some type of platform. Our blog is like the 1.0, what's the 2.0? And it didn't exist. And it was one of those, I think, just moments where I was like, okay, we can build this internally. We can try the agency thing again, but this really should exist. There's got, I just seeing kind of all the incredible work that HubSpot has done over the years evangelizing inbound marketing, but seeing that the formats are changing, that the distribution channels are changing, and the infrastructure of the blog has not evolved to really capture that opportunity. So that's what was the moment where I stepped down from the CMO role and said, let's start a company and try to build this product to help other marketers be able to solve this as well. And there's a couple of other trends, which I guess fueling this movement around cookies or around owned versus rented media. Could you just share them? Yes. I think there's four things that stand out. First is that there's so much noise on the internet today. So being able to capture the attention of your audience is harder than ever before. And this isn't kind of a universal truth, but most content teams report into demand gen and they're focused on writing SEO blog posts for an algorithm, not producing podcasts like this one for humans or videos for actual people to, to consume and actually capture that attention. So how we sort of break through the noise in a world where even AI-driven content is going to add more pollution to the world, how can we genuinely break through is kind of one headwind that, that we're facing. Second is paid distribution is extremely inefficient. It's not to say some companies can't figure it out, but it's hard to find those efficiencies at scale. And if you're an early stage business, marketing budget isn't just totally available in 2023, it turns out. And paid media often is the largest line item in the program budget. It's the one that's the most scrutinized. And so it's a tough channel for us to really rely on to drive quality engagement. Third bit then is our relationship to your point from a rented perspective, from a social perspective is changing. We're realizing that our organic reach is being throttled by algorithms that we don't control. If you don't believe me, go to Twitter or X or whatever it's called and post a Substack link. You can't. They're just going to will, they're very open that they will suppress that information from your followership if you try to post it. So that plus you mentioned the end of third-party cookies in 2024 is really pushing us to say, we have to own the relationship with our audience. We need to build a first-party data set of our audience and our prospects, our customers, what have you, and take back the control of pipeline impact. Because right now we're just doing the same things that we've been doing, or a lot of companies, most companies are using the same channels, the same tire tactics, and it's just not going to bear the fruit that it has in years past. So that's why I think you're right. I had the observation from my own sort of lived experience as a CMO, but there are these trends and changing winds and marketing that I think make this the perfect moment for us to embrace owned media or audience marketing, whatever you want to refer to it as the primary channel for go-to-market. And we're going to be linking to Audience Plus but down below if anybody wants to check it out. I think you're currently not open completely in beta, right? We're we have a wait list for beta basically, but we've got a dozen or so customers already, folks using the platform. A few, many launched actually last week, but yeah, no, we're happy to talk to customers for sure. Nice. We'll also link to Lavender Land. Below, yes. That's probably my favorite one of the examples. So let's now shift to marketing audience plus. And the first thing I want to talk about is the launch event, because it seems like this might be one of your expertises, because I watched <laughs> the keynote yesterday of four hours, maybe longer. 
And there was loads of different stuff going on. Can you just like give us a breakdown of why like go so hard on the launch and yeah. how you did it? Yeah, I could talk for an hour on this one. So I'll try to be concise. First of all, as a founder now, we needed to drive towards a deadline. When you're operating in stealth, like you can just go on forever building. But at some point, we needed to announce our seed round. We needed to start commercializing. We had brought on a few customers. We needed to start getting them live. So we picked a date in May to do that. And then candidly, we were about two or three weeks out before it. And we said, what the heck are we doing? Are we just going to drop a press release, publish a blog post? What are we going to do? We're a team of marketers selling a marketing product to marketers. And so there's sort of an expectation that we can set the bar, drive the industry forward. So we wanted to do something that was impactful. And it started with the presentation. We contracted with a consulting company, this company called Duarte, who are like experts in terms of developing a narrative. Because as a, honestly, candidly, like I had so many pockets of messaging, but needed help streamlining it into one story. And so what we knew is we were going to have the ability to have a pre-recorded video <laughs> of a launch keynote, basically, that was going to explain the story, introduce the product, be sort of our quote-unquote iPhone moment where we launched the platform to the world, our lightning strike. But it didn't feel right to just say, okay, we're going to go on LinkedIn, hit go on a pre-recorded video and make that kind of the moment. Who's going to sit and watch that? So our inspiration came from an unlikely place, two unlikely places. The first was a SpaceX shuttle launch. I don't know if you ever watched some of these things, but they have an entire pre-show. And the pre-show, they're interviewing the engineers. They're giving the back behind the scenes on SpaceX. They have a countdown clock going on the bottom towards the big launch moment. So what if we did a pre-show before the keynote that was a conference within the event that wasn't really about our product, but helped people get educated around the category by the voices of people in the community? So that was idea number one. Idea number two was <laughs> from a show we have here in the States. I don't know. It's a, it might be international. The Bachelor. It's like a dating show, basically. Yes. Okay. <laughs> they do this. I'm embarrassed about this example, but they do this thing called After the Rose, where after the final ceremony or whatever, they bring the cast back on and for an all access conversation about what the world just witnessed. And so we wanted to do a post show that basically brought on influencers to get their reactions to the big reveal. We brought our investors on, newly announced investors on board. We did a Q&A with the audience. So basically, we packed this agenda of a four-hour event that took a lot of gall for us to assume anyone would even show up to this thing. But we started promoting this event, this four-hour LinkedIn takeover, choosing to do it on LinkedIn to try to capture the virality of the platform. It's not the greatest event platform, to be honest, but it did help us extend beyond our registration base to get more eyeballs on the event. So the final point I mentioned, this, this could go long. We wanted to get a host because we wanted someone to facilitate this kind of build towards the keynote, try to maintain the audience attention during the keynote, and then keep people around to make this truly a moment for the industry. And it, we stumbled into a friend of a friend of a friend. And that was Danielle Fischel, who played Topanga on the show called Boy Meets World, going back to this idea of 90s nostalgia. She was very gracious, came out to our studio in Arizona and filmed live with us the entire event. So that became just a really interesting catalyst or this kind of spark for our promotions for the event. As we said, hey, we have this like 90s celebrity basically hosting this no-name company's launch moment. And I think it drew a lot of like, okay, why? I want to pay attention. What is this thing? And so that kind of drew a lot of, I think, buzz leading up to the event. 
So the outcome, we had about a thousand people register, but about 5,000 people actually engaged with the event. So the LinkedIn algorithm, I hate on it a lot, but it worked on that day, which was nice. But also we had something to the tune of like 400 waitlist subscriptions by the end of the day, all because that was sort of what we were driving that traffic towards was our new waitlist form. So a lot of learnings, a lot to unpack there, but I do think it's interesting to market like a media company and try to find ways to break the traditional playbook and how we introduce ourselves to the world as a company, how we launch new products, those types of things. Whenever you launch anything, there's always like, it's a great opportunity to get more attention than you deserve. Like with threads, for example, like popped off and now maybe it's dying. Who knows? And that's why I love the two point or two points I'd like to share is you brought in influencers who would obviously share the event. Yeah. And then you also brought in this kind of, I don't want to say random, but like a unknown entity (laughs) (laughs) that also spiked to my anticipation. So I love that. I do want to touch upon a point you raised though. And this is, it's not my objection to Audience Plus, but it's something that I think people need to think about is, yes, it's great to have all this content that you own on your domain. You can see all these lovely metrics, but getting attention, we are going to have to break some of that out and put it into social platforms. Is that something you recommend? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So own media won't work without rented distribution and amplification. I think that the lesson that we, or the, the model that we look to is consumer media companies. If you follow any kind of consumer media business or brand on Instagram, you'll find that whatever blogs they publish, videos they publish, they're creating a short form asset and they're putting it on Instagram or whatever. In our case, of course, LinkedIn tends to be the primary. It's really the intention in those channels. Because as a CMO, when I thought about Twitter or whatever, I would hire a junior community manager, social media manager fresh out of college or something to run that channel to basically distribute our blog posts through it or something, build a followership talk about our culture. And that's all good. I'm not hating on it. I think that's sort of a fair thing. But the intention for consumer media companies is to actively de-platform their audience into subscribers. So you can't drive owned subscribers without the rented channels on, be it social, be it content networks like YouTube, Spotify, even SEO. So it's an instrumental part of the workflow of building an owned audience. But we have to shift our intention. It's not just this like side project around community management, it is the tip of the spear from a demand gen perspective. And so that's where I think quite the opposite. Rented is extremely important. We like to hate on it just from a positioning perspective, but if it weren't, if we have to be where our audience is, but we have to get really smart about how we atomize our content to fit those feeds in order to drive that audience towards our own platform. Which leads nicely to the next question, which is about how you're planning to take audience plus to market. Now, you mentioned hating on the algorithms and I was obviously <laughs> going through all your LinkedIn posts and there's a one where the post text is simply a little note on the algorithm and there's you in a video explaining about this was the day that everybody lost their LinkedIn impressions. So I assume <laughs> that's part of it. We have the positioning, but then we're going to distribute content. But I'd love to know like high level, the plan for getting X amount of demos per week or whatever you guys are optimizing for. Yeah, there's a lot. We have no shortage of ideas and vision for sure of what we want to do. I think it's all rooted in this idea of that we started the conversation with thought leadership. How can we establish thought leadership around this idea of owned media, this idea of audience marketing? How can we distribute content and best practices in a really modern way? How can we use our own platform to understand how our audience is engaging with all of this content? And then for the right members of our audience, how can we monetize? How can we look at the data 
and say, okay, these folks are showing signal that they should be a customer. How can we reach out without violating trust basically and, and turn that into a pipeline account? That's, I would say the core motion. If I were to give you an exact example, we have a prescriptive playbook that we're developing around how to do this. What does the next generation of inbound marketing look like in this new world? Seven steps. Great. So each step needs its own show. It needs its own sort of webinar. It needs its own kind of field marketing dinner. It needs its own, all of the traditional tactics as well, layered on top in order to do two things, well, several things, educate our audience, establish demand and establish this category as a new kind of motion for companies. And then of course, monetize. So that all feeds our funnel from an inbound perspective. To date, we've spent $0 on paid distribution. Everything that we've done so far has been organic. We paid for Topanga, of course, but we paid for a few things, but not advertising. I think the belief is companies that are really embracing own media can run fairly efficiently. This doesn't have to be an expensive proposition, especially relative to paid. And so we want to demonstrate that, show that you can build a billion-dollar business without having your CAC kind of be upside down as it has been in many companies that I've been a part of. So I hope that gives a little bit of preview. There's a lot of vision around doing our own event programs and all of these types of things as well. But we want to be leading from the front on how to do audience marketing really well. And we're really just getting started. We're a very small team right now. So you expect a lot more coming up soon. You all take it very seriously. Like you were running this, I think, nine months before launch. And how many different shows do you have at the moment? Four, I think, not including the event program. So we have Media Marketer, which is so for content professionals, Media House, which is sort of a category education for CMOs. We have Owned, which is a fun brand thing where we take a look at a consumer media company and break down the learnings to be. And then we do new blog posts every week, newsletters, and monthly events alternating between a CMO office hours where we bring a different CMO on board every month to answer questions from an audience. And this luminary series where we bring in an expert in a kind of small part of the own media equation and talk to them. So like a webinar, basically. So is that five, six kind of different programs, not including the blog post? Yeah, we're we're punching above our weight. We definitely need to be hiring here soon to help scale a lot of this. And everything that you like work out as you move through this can also then be packaged up and given to your, either your customers or just publish this content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is all helping our customers get better and learn from each other and us being transparent, sharing our learnings on how to do a new-ish thing, at least a new thing for our industry in B2B. So by the way, we want them to co-author it. And so a lot of the guests on our shows are our customers. A lot of the contributed blogs are from our customers. So you referenced Lavender Land. Doing Lavender's, Todd Clouser at Lavender and team are doing incredible things, pioneering kind of this new category. So we want to help amplify kind of their voices as well. Final question then on metrics. I understand if we're building a media brand, I assume the leading metric is going to be the consumption of the content, but then also we want to be looking at the permission assets like followers, slash email subscribers. Is that your thinking as well? Yeah. The bias I have is I think about this entire strategy as a revenue marketing demand generation strategy, not a brand strategy, which is maybe counterintuitive or might feel a little off, I would suppose. For me, the leading indicator is subscribers. So I care about how many people watch the video, how long did they watch, did they share, did they comment, all those things I think matters for sure. But the leading indicator to me is, did they like it enough to want to subscribe and give us that step forward? Not that they're interested in our product, but they're interested in this category. They're interested in this subject matter that we're out here publishing around. So that's the first 
indicator. The second then is around engagement. And so a big thing that our platform does is actually score engagement in aggregate across all of the different dimensions. Like again, how long did they view? Did they share? All that sort of thing. Having 100,000 subscribers or whatever is great, but who are the 3,000 voices or whatever, 300 who are extremely passionate and they're engaging with a type of content we have on platform that might show signal for buying intent. So the second bit is then engage subscribers. And the third, of course, then is pipeline creation. So how many of them now go on to actually want to evaluate the product and those types of things. So you start getting deeper into the traditional funnel, opt-ins or whatever the top of funnel thing is, MQLs, which is a function of engagement, and then opportunity creation, which is ultimately what we're accountable to in marketing. So I think companies that view this as solely a brand exercise around awareness, it's tough to get that funded in 2023 in this economic reality that we're living in. So my conviction is this is more of the marketing automation, inbound marketing evolution than it is one around brand marketing. Anthony, thank you for the masterclass. Of course. The future of B2B. We'll be linking below, obviously, to Audience Plus. We'll link to your LinkedIn profile as well, because I know you're active there. Is there anything else we should be linking to? No, that sounds great. Those are the two places I spend the most time online. So appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Tom. All right, team. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Anthony for being so generous with his wisdom. Obviously, go and check out Audience Plus right now. The link will be below. If you have any feedback about the show, please leave that in the form of a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. If you send me a screenshot of that review on LinkedIn, I will give you and your business a shout out on the show. Again, thanks to fame.so for sponsoring and producing this episode. And thank you for listening.